They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. club this is number eight i believe and we're going back way way back to something that piqued my interest something that people told me to stay away from because it was it wasn't good to be looking into these type of things and it wasn't going to be reading these type of things but we can get into that whole aspect of psychological warfare a little bit later we're going to be talking about enoch maybe the nephilim maybe some giants maybe some other stuff whatever comes up we're here. We have two very special guests. We have Esoteric Eddie. What's up, dude? What up? What up? Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. What's up to everybody? Awesome, Namaste. dude. Namaste. Can you uh, plug your stuff real quick? Where can people find your books, your work, your YouTube channel? Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at Esoteric Eddie. You can find all my full-length documentaries and videos on YouTube at Esoteric Eddie TV. Right on, right on. And then we have an OG of the podcast. We got Dr. Lumpkin with us today. He goes back to episode 18, over two years ago now. That was a different one, but we're in 2022 now, two and a half years later. What's up, Dr. Joseph? How are you doing today? Nice to meet y'all. Good to be here. Uh, thanks for inviting me back. For sure. Where can people find your work? You have numerous publications. You have, I have the Encyclopedia of Lost and Rejected Scriptures that you have very fascinating reading. It's literally got almost all the the texts in it, right? I mean, these 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 are it. These are the texts that that yeah. they don't want you to know about. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 the ones that were left out and. Um... Yeah, you can you can find those just by really typing in my name on Amazon.com, or you can go to fifthestatepub.com, F-I-F-T-H, spell it out, estatepub.com, and uh, you'll see uh, links there, and also you have a link there to uh, get the videos and the uh, and uh, actually linked back to one-on-one. <laughs> right on. It always goes back to to the Juan, bro, the, the one, the monad. 
<laughs> so I appreciate you coming on. I wanted to talk about again back to my roots. Maybe not a cult, right? Because the book of Enoch, everybody talks about it. But I want to dig a little bit deeper and ask, I, I I want to be a little not abrasive today, but I want to ask some hard questions. And I don't want to come at it from from any sort of point of view. I want to be as as non-biased as possible so i'm not here to offend anybody i'm not going to be asking like rude questions but i'm going to be asking hard questions that maybe people are afraid to ask and i was going to come on originally with the guys and i said i wish i knew somebody who's translated these oh wait i do know somebody who's translated these works so that's why i hit you up it was kind of last minute and i was like hopefully you can come on because we have a professional who's been in the trenches who's looked at the scannings and translated all these things so I'm really happy to have you here because we can really ask you the questions that maybe a lot of other people wouldn't be able to to answer. And so, for I those, I don't know if I'll be able to answer them or not. You know, I'm getting old, and and this uh, translation was quite a few years ago. So we'll do our do our best. We'll hang in there, and and we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll probably get into the weeds just a little bit because when you start asking some of these questions, it's going to lead back to canon. Going to lead back to a lot of things that that people need to know about and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we take a lot of these things for granted. You know, we, we think uh, uh, the Bible just appeared somehow. No, no. Uh, and, and your Bible and their Bible, the world's Bibles, are, are not the same. So, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that I've been thinking about as of lately to, to, set, to set the, the, the mood a little bit on this, on this podcast as, as we dive into it, and I'll post everybody's links in the description, is the idea now hear me out because this is, this is going to sound kind of crazy but the idea we know that the word grimoire comes from grammar right it originates everything goes back to language it goes back to scripture it goes back to literature the oldest literature that we have is the epic of gilgamesh according to the mainstream if you want to believe that or not i believe that there's probably older pieces that we don't know about that were burned that were destroyed that's a whole rabbit hole but the idea that these texts have literally shaped reality for a lot of people. The, the idea that these texts are at the center of a lot of these major religions and that they, these major religions are dictated by what these texts say and some people follow them blindly and they literally, some people work their entire lives around these books, around these scriptures that were... I mean, look at the King James Version. I've done a deep dive on King James. Shady it's character. Not pretty. It's not pretty. <laughs> no, it's not. But, again, these are powerful people. And I believe, again, hear me out, that it is, and I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but I believe that this is some sort of magic that we're, that we're encountering, like word magic, because alchemy. I mean, alchemy at the end of the day, where they're using these texts and... What really intrigues me about the book of Enoch is that it's different fragmented texts put together. Like, again, like an alchemical process, like a chimera of some sorts that comes together. And it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, except for the Ethiopian canon that has, what, 81 books in their canon? Yes. So what do you think about that? And if any, any, any of you guys feel free to jump in about these texts literally manipulating people's reality. And I, that's something I've been on. That, that I recently got introduced to where these secret societies, a certain secret societies, they understood the rights of these texts before they were translated. So it was almost like a, 
something unlocked in the psyche maybe i don't know that's something i'm diving into and i call it interdimensional literature it sounds wild trust me it sounds wild but it's an idea that i'm playing with okay and i'm going to develop it further and i thought what a better way than to talk about apocrypha or or ancient scripture religious scripture because it literally shapes people's realities that's exactly what it does it changes paradigms and people read it and when they absorb this knowledge that's in it they take it a lot of people take it for face value but i think Again, I, I was in the church for a lot of years and a lot of people told me, stay away, stay away from reading these sort of things. Don't read the gospel of Judas. Don't read the Apocrypha of John. Don't read the book of Enoch. It's demonic. It's, and I'm like, but why are you trying to keep me in a reality tunnel of some sorts in order to further your cause? You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to demean anyone's religion or put anybody down. But it's just something that comes to mind. That a lot of people, again, they blindly follow it. And th this is the truth. This is the truth. Well, how do you know? It hasn't been altered by man. <laughs> Hundreds of years ago, thousands yeah. of years ago. I got a couple other things to throw in here, too. And I just want to mention, I'm probably the resident bumpkin in this little uh, uh, group chat we've got going. Um, so I, I probably have the most questions and the most things that I want to clear up. And I'm glad that Juan mentioned King St. James Version because coming from uh, a place of paranoia and conspiracy i i tend to notice especially in like the most fundamentalist sort of anti-illuminati anti-masonic approaches they regard the king james version as the penultimate version and any sort of deviation from the king james specifically you know the new companions bible or any other more modern uh, interpretation are tend to be seen as like evil and that if you are deviating from king james version then you know you are basically promoting like a false gospel so i'm i'm curious if you know why is it the king james version in particular and is there really something special about it that makes people you know basically banish every other version out there no matter how slight the deviations might seem do you want to jump in yeah um i haven't studied it that much but i mean it's it's for one reason for sure I mean, he had a, a monopoly, right, on, on population at that time, on the world at that time. So I feel like in one part, it was just the fact that he was able to, you know, uh, instate that authority over the people and over the minds. So it's almost like a conditioning. You know, it was, it was we were indoctrinated and conditioned and, and condemned. You know, it was the authoritative Bible, you know, so for many years we were just conditioned for it to be the authoritative Bible. Um, I don't know exactly why it's deemed as evil. Um, it's not something I've studied deeply, but, uh, Juan well, not King James, did. just anything other than King James typically in like the conspiracy crowds is seen as false and lies and, and King James oh, is the standard. So you're, you're saying in the conspiracy world, people think that... Yeah, like, well, I'll, I'll give you a practical example. Like, for example, yeah. uh, Chick, um, Chick Track Publications, right? Yeah. Um, they, they kind of represent a, a fairly decent chunk of this fundamentalist conspiracy crowd. And if you go through a lot of their sort of pamphlets and all of their um, different presentations, it really ultimately leads back to use the King James Version 100% hmm. of the time. Do not be led astray by any other version. Uh, and I'm not prescribing to that. I'm just very curious why it's that one 
and and in the back of my mind i wonder is there like a sunken cost fallacy that's being played out over millennia where it's like man all the work that went into that king james version it would sure would be a a shame to just let it all go to waste if we started second guessing the authority (laughs) on that well it's kind of like i'll just wrap it up like this like the way i view it is it's like the queen of england right i mean she's she's held uh, uh, power over that area and over the world for so many years and it's just a cultural thing that got embedded into everybody's minds and lives it's the same thing it's just his book create was created at a, at a certain time where there if you were to oppose it you were to be killed imprisoned so that amount of indoctrination and heavy conditioning just kind of lingered on and it just kind of it lingered on up until now but now people are kind of venturing out from there and we're realizing that there were some mistakes and um but we're in in the church specifically you know we we never like to go against our elders you know we're always told to stay in line so so making questioning anything in the church culture in general is looked down upon so it's just kind of like just follow the status quo and but um what i've realized is that it all goes back to the Hebrew, right? All, all this Judeo-Christian stuff goes back to the Hebrew, but even the Hebrew has been heavily misunderstood. And the, we need to be very, very accurate about the, the words that we translate and that we use. For example, you know, in English, we just throw around the word God, but the Hebrew Bible doesn't use the word God. It uses at least 72 variations of, of, of titles for God. And something that I just learned last night, which kind of uh, I thought was was a trip and pretty fascinating, was that a lot of times in the English where we would see the word man, uh, the word man is not used in the Hebrew. Uh, the word Adam is used. And that might seem like it's, it's uh, inconsequential, but it's actually very important because when we're reading the history of what God did and who he created, um, he's not saying he created man. He's saying he created Adam. And that right there actually created a schism um, that the, a lot of the early Aryan white supremacists um, took a hold of because they were saying, look, God created Adam. Therefore, Adam was a different race. And, there, and that w- that's what sparked this whole pre-Adamic race theory. So what I'm saying is um, a lot of times it's just human conditioning, you know, in these epics where a king says something and we just have to go with it and it just keeps on going and it becomes tradition. But we need to look outside of the tradition and get specific and, and real and, and mature about what it is we're reading. So how deep do y'all want to go? I mean, all the way. Okay. All the way, Joseph. Yeah. So, okay. So, so let me just rip the uh, scab off here. Um, I canceled a meeting of the Masonic Lodge that I am in and part of the uh, Knights Templar that I belong to, to be here. So I'm, I'm speaking from the inside out when I tell you that uh, uh, we, we don't venerate the King James. Uh, that, that's, that's a misunderstanding. We do venerate God. Um, so that's the first thing. I have to go completely with Eddie on this one in that the establishment of canon um, is uh, part of it was it had to be ancient and it had, had to be uh, <clears throat> heavily used. And, uh, and the King James has become kind of a canon. Here's the problem. We have 5,000 different codices with 500,000 different variations. 
within those 500,000 variations, there may be some minor things, but there are some frigging major ones too. The King James wasn't um, uh, privy to all of the research that we've done through the years. And we keep on digging up these, uh, the, these uh, codices and palimpsests and things that, uh, that are adding more and more to it. And the farther back we go, the more insane it gets. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, there's a particular word, and I, I can't call it right now, but just bear with me on this. Uh, it, it has an Omicron in it. And um, so there's a, a theta that, uh, or I'm sorry, it has a, yeah, it has an Omicron. It looks like a theta. So it's got a, it's got a line in the middle of it. It changes the word completely. But it's, it's front and back. Uh, codices are usually front and back on, on skin, on uh, leather. They translated this thing over the years until someone said, wait a minute, this is a bleed through. And, uh, and they turned it over and they, and they uh, did a little bit of uh, UV light on it. And they saw that and mistranslating this one word forever and ever. And it was just a bleed through from the other side of the page. Um, um, and that's just one example. So we've, we've got all of these things that have been added to it. Give you uh, just a, a really quick rundown. Uh, the book of Mark, uh, the end of the book of Mark stops where it says that the women saw Jesus and then they ran off and didn't tell a single person because they were afraid. And it stops right there. It's like, but some scribes said, this sucks. We need more drama. And they literally created the end of Mark where you can pick up snakes and you can drink poison and you can raise the dead and heal the sick. It's not in the older uh, witnesses, which explains why right up the road here in Sand Mountain, Georgia and Tennessee and, and Alabama, where they're handling snakes, people are dying every day because they're doing things that aren't even in the original scriptures. The doxology that we hold so dear for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Wasn't in the older witnesses. The amount of things that have been altered is crazy. So we have this, uh, like Eddie said, we, we've got this uh, king that had imposed this. And, uh, and, and, and we, we kind of grew up around it. And we created a canon. And we bought into this. And, and nobody wants to, you know, shake the boat. However... If you start going back into the older and older witnesses, you find that there's an insane amount of things that have changed. And, uh, and then we have the problem of, uh, of just the editors and printers. You know, remember the, uh, uh, back here in, in Missouri, they've got the adulterer's Bible because somebody forgot the word not. It says, thou shalt commit adultery. I'm all for that Bible. Don't, I mean, don't get me wrong, but, it gives you an idea where these these uh, these these what we call the hard shell Baptists in this area, the conservatives that say God protects His Word, you know, uh, the Word is inerrant. That can't possibly be. There are five hundred thousand differences, and some of these errors are consequential. So, I've I've got something I'd love to to yeah go ahead bring us on a slight tangent, but it feels very related to this. Yeah, and I've been doing a recent deep dive on the names of Moloch and Baal, 
Um, and what I've found seems to kind of reflect some of the things that have come up here. So please correct me and give extra context where you can, because I find this particular semantic sort of syncretism beyond fascinating. So from what I understand, a lot of people refer to the Canaanite god of either Moloch or Baal, but really Moloch might have just been a word for king, and they might have used to use it to refer to a specific god or a specific king, but over time it just got amalgamated into the word king of Malek or Malik and then that became Moloch um, and this might have also been crossed with the word Molk which was just a sacrificial ritual that people would do to various gods not in, into one in particular so there's one um, kind of train of thought that Moloch was never really representing an actual specific deity or god uh, it was just referring to the act of sacrifice and then since so many people were doing Molk or Moloch to a particular type of god, like a bull god, he kind of took on that name. And then similar, Baal, Baal actually referred to like the word Lord or, you know, to my ruler. And it really referred to Baal um, Hanan or Baal Hammon or a whole bunch of others that kind of came after that. But over time, again, just the word Baal, which was this formal title, sort of became interpreted as an actual god Baal. And this we actually have some instances, um, I believe, in the, the King James Bible. So, so is that correct that Baal and Moloch were really just kind of misinterpreted and re-kind of interpreted as titles into the names of things? And how far back does that go? It goes, it goes all the way back to the uh, Canaanite pantheon, which leads us to the real uh, error of our ways, uh, Thomas. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's bizarre. So, yes, you're absolutely right. Baal means uh, Lord. And you see it a lot in names like Zerubbabel. Well, I mean that's that's a Jewish ruler. It's uh, and, but it you know he's he's named after Baal. Um, so what we have is uh, is El, which was the Canaanite uh, high god, and the pantheon included Moloch and uh, Baal and all of these things, which are uh, they're general names. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely spot on on that. Um, so uh, within within that context, we also had uh, Yal, Yahweh that was. Uh, brought in from uh, another tribe, uh, well, another people, and in that period of time, and it became part of the, the pantheon. Uh, so what you had is uh, a fight over um, priests. It, it's all about power and money, right? So you had the, the worshipers of Baal and the worshipers of Yahweh, and my God's better than your God, and, you know, so the... Um, the victors write the history. And what happened in a, in a general consensus is, is that um, the Jews were smart. They wrote down their religion. And because they wrote it down, it crystallized. And because it crystallized, it continued. And the rest of them kind of drifted. And as it drifts, it changes and it splits and it, it becomes diffuse. And the, that way, the, uh, the, the worshipers of Yahweh uh, remain kind of intact. And uh, and you can actually see a, a, a quick evolution in the very beginning of Genesis where uh, uh, El is mentioned and not Yahweh. And then Yahweh becomes mentioned, and then you have this sh- uh, shift that says the Lord God, El, you know, El Yahweh. Uh, or, and, and that's where they become combined into the same God. So... This is going to piss so many people off, guys, and and you just have to uh, 
they can they can call me. Okay, they they don't need to bother you. But here we're going to put your phone number in the lower thirds right <laughs> yeah, now. Go yeah, ahead and, and put that up there. Right? So uh, yeah, you want a conspiracy? Here's here's the big conspiracy. We are worshiping a Canaanite god, drugged through a Hebrew sieve, and given to us through the Old Testament, and then we layered on that the New Testament in Jesus. So and and then uh, you you had uh, the Muslims. You know, Islam was created off the back of both of these. So you have three religions that trace back to El and the Pantheon, and that's uh, Ashra, the, the the goddess, and and so you have this uh, this family, uh, this preeminent family that created all of these uh, sons or seventy uh, gods, and uh, and we are told that uh, in Psalms that they divided up the uh, the nations, and they worshipped them. Now the question is. Um, are we getting confused between these old gods and the fallen ones? Because in the book of Jasher, it says that they ruled over us. So I'm just going to drop that in there and let you think about it, because when when Psalm 82 says that we, you know, he divided up the lands and God stood in the middle of, of the pantheon and said, hey, you guys are not uh, controlling your people, right? Uh is he talking to the old ones? Is he talking to the fallen ones? Is it really the way that that Jasher says that they came and 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 ruled over us for a while? And I I, I give the floor back to whoever it is because I'm monopolizing the time. <clears throat> yeah, I, I got a couple of things to add to that. So, with I just wrote a book called the Anunnaki Theorem, and um, it's pretty much centers around that whole idea, you know, chronalizing. You know, how the concept of God went from the Sumerian aspect up to where it is now and how we got to monotheism. And um, what Mr. Lumpkin just said is, is correct. You know, uh, the Israelites, the early Israelites, they came from a, a different peoples or different tribes and just kind of interjected in that early Jewish history. And in my book, what I what I presented was that that the earliest of these Israelite people that we can find belong to the Shasu the Shasu of the Sinai Peninsula area. And from the Shasu in the Sinai is where we find some of the oldest mentions of Yahweh going, um, I think, a couple hundred years before the Bible was even put together. And these people, and it's interesting because in the Bible, we're told that the first time God presented himself as Yahweh was to Moses in the Sinai desert. So we have the Bible confirming um, real history. So in history, we know that the Shasu people of the Sinai area are the ones who have the oldest mentions of Yahweh, but he wasn't this monotheistic God. He had a consort by the name of Asherah, and it was this whole Canaanite, you know, culturalistic thing. And in the Bible, again, it's confirmed. So, um, yeah, Mr. Lumpkin uh, uh, is correct in, in saying that, uh, you know, this whole Yahweh and monotheism thing started off in this polytheistic culture of uh, Canaan. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go there because right, we're we're trying to go deep here, and there is this push in the shows that they're that they're on the History Channel and all this stuff because you guys are talking about what if it's these fallen ones? What if it's these right? 
Is it the aliens? Is it the Anunnaki? Can we go there, like, extraterrestrial, or is that too too far gone? Because it's like how, what's that guy, Eric Von Daniken, he says if you re- replace everything in the Bible with, you know, the word angel with, I think, extraterrestrial or something, that it would make total sense. Are we talking about some people from either another dimension or another planet? Like, what are we, what are we getting at? Can we go there a little bit? Hey... What do you think, Joseph? <laughs> Thanks a lot, Juan. With your, with your background, because I mean, the, the, I know well, your background. I, really uh, I, you know, I can't speak to it except to tell you that they're not from here. So, you know, it's they're not from here. Um, okay, so the book of um, Jubilees tells us that um, when the sons of God uh, mated with the daughters of men, they produced three species. And everybody ignores this. I don't know why, but it's right there in black and white. Three species. We have the giants, we have the Nephil, and we have Elio. The only thing we can come up with Elio is godling. These are the men of renown. These are the hybrids. These are probably, uh, I don't know, Achilles and Hercules and and all of the the men of renown and the old ones that we talk about. Um, So... First, we have the the the, uh, the fallen ones. There's 200 of them, and uh, and we know that they ruled over us, and we know that uh, that they were here, and we know that they did not come from here because they were sent by El to do uh, uh, some reconnaissance. They were watchers. They weren't supposed to get involved. We know from the book of uh, Jasher that they were doing uh, gene splicing. We we know that Jasher tells us that. Uh, what really pissed L off was the fact that they screwed up the experiment. They started combining species. It wasn't supposed to be done. So it looks to me like, uh, to be honest, uh, we were an experiment possibly. So they, they, they uh, spun us up. They were watching us. They had a particular thing uh, that they were trying to do. I think that they were trying to breed us to get to the pinnacle of what we could be. The fallen ones, the angels, if you will, didn't want to uh, want us to succeed in that way. They did not want us to become godlings, or gods, or whatever. So they they sabotaged the experiment by coming down and uh, messing up the uh, uh, the gene pool. Now, were they trying to accelerate it, or were they trying to destroy it? I don't know. But L got so angry that he wiped out everything and began with one family. And that one family was probably the only family that he could say, okay, they weren't contaminated. Let's try this again. And uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and the rats are really running the experiment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, from, from the background. So I, I know you and I have talked about this before. So you, you've said before that you think that they are still here. I mean, is is that correct? Because we, we've talked about it a few times, but I like I like to think about because I talk about the reptilian overlords a lot, and people always hit me up and they're like, "Hey, do you mean they're actual lizard people that they shapeshift?" And I go, "Not so much." I, I talk about it from a metaphorical point of view, where you're saying there is this battle of light and darkness of energy, because energy cannot be created nor destroyed; it can only be transformed, and we know that by sending in that flood 
in your book, The Origins of Evil, it's pretty much that these spirits that are lingering from those times are the ones that are angry at mankind. So they're behind the scenes messing yeah, with everybody. Well, yeah, well, we're told that um, the the fallen ones, when they when they when they uh, impregnated the women and the women had children there was a species there and it was it, uh, probably the uh the netful uh when you killed them it says that the body died but the spirit came out and it was enraged that that particular species was just all about rage mm. and uh and they went out and it was they that tormented mankind well the problem with the flood is you don't kill a spirit um and the problem with asking the question of uh, are the fallen ones still here you don't kill a spirit so I have no answer for it I can mm. just say that if they were like the uh, nephthal you might get rid of the body but you're not going to re- get rid of the soul you know so I, I don't know and that that's one of the conspiracies nowadays that the elite the elites they worship these because you have the whole thing with the Knights Templar and Baphomet and what Baphomet could have been. You know, I have my own ideas on that, but how you're saying if they are, because correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't one of the things about the Nephilim that they came down, they were first, they were here to watch over humanity and then they lusted over the humans i guess right they were they were originally the watchers so they were there watching humanity from outside and then they wanted to interact and that's when you had this whole hierarchy that's explained in the books of enoch and it's broken down uh what happened because again it's how you're saying it's this fan fiction that tells you what happens after the behind the scenes because i've always said if, if the the for example the book of genesis what happens after Adam and Eve are, are, are aborted from the Garden of Eden? Well, we don't know. But well, we, um, we have first and second Adam and Eve, which is a midrash, which uh, that, that, that style of writing is uh, created to answer those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I want to turn it back over to the group because I really don't have some, uh, some answers for this. But here's, here's my take on, on this one thing. We have to be careful of, of, of our terminology because it gets confusing. Uh, the watchers or the 200 that came down according to the book of jubilees the nephilim the fallen ones um you know we we think well they fell from heaven but this isn't what that means it it, it means that they were uh they were spiritually fallen and mm. uh they, they were created um in a in a fallen state and i don't mean like sin i mean they were freaking crazy they came out like you know they came out like my sister they were nuts so (laughs) um anyway so uh, it it says that they generated three species the nephilim the nephil anytime that an im appears on an end of a word in hebrew it's just uh a plural that's all it is it's just a plural you have seraph and seraphim it just means many seraphs nephil nephilim it just means many nephil Okay. So you have the Nephilim, you have the Elio, you have the giants. And uh, the giants were eating them out of house and home. And uh, 
and uh, the Nephil were, were, you know, warring with everybody. And the Elio, they kind of like disappeared. They like removed themselves from the combat. And I think that those are the guys that we write about, you know, all of the myth and legends. But mm. like, go ahead, guys. I've taken enough time. I'm glad you brought up the Elio because there was something that, again, in, in the research of trying to figure out like where these original gods kind of came from, all of a sudden you find these pantheons that start with Zeus, but then end with an actual ruler of a historical country that you can point at. And then you can see if you look at if you zoom out and look at these genealogy and these family trees, it'll be like perhaps I'm, I'm going to say actual person with the connotation that like maybe it's an actual person. But it'll be like actual person, God, 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 actual person, God, actual person. So they sort of have intermingled historical record of people that we assume actually ruled certain countries and certain cultures. But then we say like their brother was Athena or their dad was Zeus and it becomes very hard. So so where I want to get to with this is that uh, this isn't an Enoch and I'm going to cheat by bringing up Revelations, which I know is like it's no own problem. thing. No problem. But man. but in Revelations, for example, there's the, lots of uh, flowery talk about um, like the seven headed dragon and, you know, yada, yada. Well, there's interpretations that the seven heads represented these seven hills um, geographically and that the dragon represented Rome so that if you read it and you remove the dragons and the devils and all of like the flowery language, it's talking about this encoded geographic region. So the point that I'm, I'm getting to is that there's clearly some symbolism that is purely allegorical or metaphorical and it's kind of codified. But then when we talk about like these Elio and these gods and giants, is there like a certain um, like a, a certain milestone within all of the biblical texts that you're aware of where it's like, okay, it's pretty much all metaphors until here, and then it might be talking about actual <laughs> historical people, or is it just so intermingled that there's not like a specific place you can point to? Is it all bullshit? Is what you want to get at? <laughs> well, no. like, like, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. probably one of the best questions I've ever been asked because it just dig, digs so deep. So, in the book of Giants, which I believe belonged in the book of Enoch at one time. In the middle of that thing, you have, you have, uh, you know, uh, giant, giant, giant. We'll call them, we'll call them, um, we'll call them Elio for right now. But you, you have person, 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 Gelgamesh. What the hell? Wait, a, a Samaritan god, a Samaritan god, pops up in the middle of all of this crap, and and you go, well, wait, how many other people are are legendary or existent or whatever so um here's my my answer to your question they're interspersed because check this out i I come from the 70s right where everything was pretty new agey i mean there were more covens in indianapolis at the time i was there than there was in england you know my friends were in the ashrams they belonged to uh the divine light of guru maharaji It, it goes back that far so we were all into uh, reincarnation. And when you would do a past life reading, nobody shoveled crap. Nobody was a, sta- uh, a, a stable boy. Everybody was related to Cleopatra, <laughs> right? Or No one was holding the bedpan. <laughs> exactly. So that's what's happening is that everybody wants to belong to somebody that's, uh, that's greater than them. So uh, it's interspersed because nobody wants to shovel crap. Everybody wants to be 
you know, I was Napoleon in my past life. Well, he was a little crap and he died, but nobody wants to, you know, take care of the horses. So, so the book of numbers is a little bit of people trying to, to boo themselves up and what their genealogy is. Man, you know, if you go back to even Jesus's genealogy, we have two separate genealogies. If you read it, you know, because you should never read the scriptures one after the other. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John should be read side by side. And when you do it that way, you're going to find out that there's a lot of inconsistencies. And um, and some of them cannot be, uh, they can't be reconciled. One of those is the genealogy of Jesus. You know, you can say, well, this was on Mary's side and that was on Joseph's side. Doesn't even work that way. Uh, it just doesn't work at all. So it's exactly what you're saying. It's like uh, everybody wants to trace their lineage back to someone great. And occasionally they'll throw in a name that you go, well, that, that doesn't fit. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of what we're dealing with here is human error and human exaggeration. And uh, the, the, the Bible, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, is, um, I would say, fantasy that uses history as its background as apart from the other way around. And um, what we're also looking at is, is a timeline of our current human history. I say current human history because you have the, the Atlantean um, uh, hypothesis. But our current human history goes back, what, about um, 7,000 years in total, if that, right? The two that we have now and then the, the possible five or so from the beginning of the Sumerians and pre-Sumerians. But the Bible um, is it, just a small, small uh, perspective on that. And there's a lot of truth in it historically, but a lot of it is, is biased from a specific um, Judaic standpoint. And um, to answer that question, uh, that paranoid American uh, asked, you know, is it all bullshit? Is there truth in it? Um, it's both, you know, there's exaggeration and there's history and there's truth in it because again, all these religious scriptures are, are fantasy or philosophy, spiritual philosophy that use history as its background. And um, if we take this into account, right. If we, if we understand that for basically the entire entirety of our human existence, from the pre-Sumerians up until now, almost that entire timeline as a human race, we worshipped these gods. Almost our, the, the, the entirety of our human existence, we worshipped these gods. It wasn't until the past couple thousand years that we really started to um, fortify ourselves into monotheism. And even then, you know, we're still worshipping a lot of these gods by, by different names or different um, symbols. And the Bible tells us that. You know, the Bible says in uh, in Joshua, in Joshua, it says, uh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates rivers and worshiped other gods. And so uh, this is what Joshua is saying to his people. So Abraham, the patriarch of Judaism of Christianity of of uh, Islam, you know the patriarch of the Abrahamic faiths. His he's only one generation removed from from this polytheistic belief system. His father worshipped other gods, and they lived in Canaan, Canaan, in that ancient Levant area. And so, who are these other gods? Well, if you look at human history, 
these other gods were none other than the Anunnaki or these Elohim. And, and that's not a fanatical thing to say, because when we listen to our ancestors, the Sumerians, the Akkadians, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, you know, all of those major kingdoms that lived around Abraham, the gods that they worship were the Anunnaki, were the Elohim. So uh, from the very beginning of our current timeline, you know, 5000 BC up until um, even when the, the Persian Empire was being destroyed, uh, by the Greeks, the Anunnaki were still being worshipped by that name. Um, King Cyrus himself worshipped Marduk, uh, you know, the famous uh, Babel, or famous Anunnaki deity. So we got to read between the lines uh, and, and also verify and compare things with actual history and what, with uh, what our ancestors uh, left behind and told us. Can I... So... We, we, we've touched on the topic of secret societies, and we mentioned King James. There's the conspiracy that Francis Bacon was one of the editors of the King James Version of the Bible, and that whole connection there. Is there a possibility, because we know that secret societies do shroud things in symbolism, allegory, all these things. Could it be a possibility that a lot of these texts were meant to be interpreted by the initiated and that's why it's shrouded in this allegory, this symbolism, because only the initiated understood it to be what it is. Because you hear a lot of people talk, even Manly P. Hall has talked about the the Bible being some alchemical text shrouded with numerology, gematria, et cetera, et cetera, where it was, it's not what they're, it, it's not what's on the, you know, the exoteric. It's supposed to be more esoteric and more occulted. So is there what what are your thoughts on that Dr. Lumpkin do you think that that's going to be a possibility that we're interpreting it completely wrong and there's a message behind the lines that a lot of people aren't really understanding I think that there are three separate uh levels when you read scripture <clears throat> there's the obvious and historical um there's the we'll call it the psychological what you know what what is the uh, uh the level below that what is he trying to get you to feel in other words how is he the, the writer trying to uh, lead you and then there is the um what you call the esoteric meaning um now it's it's not the king james because it was it was hebrew culture at the time um that's why you don't see um even when they had vowel points, because at the very first of it, they didn't have vowel points. But even when they didn't, you will never see God written in a vowel. You you won't. It's it's like, because in the weaving of my spell, I have you because I know your true name, right? So you 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 don't want to even suggest that you have power over God or you have understanding of him. So you write this, Yahweh, it has no no vowels. We don't have an idea what it really sounds like. Um, you know, when you see yeah. the the uh, even today, they will write G dash D. Yeah, I've seen that. Okay, so here's I I don't know why I'm doing this. I I think it's because I'm about to retire and I don't give a damn. But over the years, I've written under several names, and one of these names is Ann Burton. If you see Ann Burton and it's an occult book, it's probably mine. So you mentioned numerology. This is my numerology book. 
It's uh, Numerology, a Book of Insights by Ann Burton, which is actually me. Uh, there are several of them out there uh, of, of different ilk and kindred when it comes to the occult. Um, I had the great pleasure of, uh, when I was 16, running into a master who taught me numerology. And um, so I just passed along what he had taught me in that book uh, before I got too old and forgot. So um, uh, in numerology, the, uh, uh, the, the vowels are the soul the very heart of the being. And uh, that's why you will never see God uh, in Hebrew written down with a vowel. Wow. So I said <laughs> bombs are being dropped on this podcast, right? We're, yeah, the first time, first time I've actually admitted that, but there you go. You well, can crucify well, me later. <laughs> well, we'll get, we're going to censor your entire box for this entire episode, doctor. And we're just going to, I'm just going to put a blob of like, and I'm going to disguise <laughs> your voice and everything. So okay. it's all right. All right. So, <laughs> because literally that's why it's called spelling because you're casting spells and this idea that you touched on it at the beginning where they're using these, I don't know if it was you, somebody said that when they're writing it down, they're crystallizing. They are. Yeah, that is a doctrine. It's, um, it's, it's why we have our religion today. It's because the Hebrews were wise enough or smart enough to write it down. And you follow the same pattern. You, um, you indoctrinate as, as Eddie said, you, you indoctrinate. And so it's passed down to the generations if you don't do that, then you end up with something like Heaven's Gate, where <laughs> the people just kind of, you know, they, they make it up as they go, and eventually they're going to make it up wrong. Like Scientology, then? <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, Scientology is a different thing. The book is actually written down because he actually sit down and said, bet you can't create a religion, bet you I can. And mm -hmm. he, wrote, he wrote the book. And, so that's uh, the that's the spell right there. You write the book. That's that's part of the of the of the of the entire ritual, and then the rest is imprinting that into the psyche somehow of the people and them forming it. Them forming it again. A, a homunculus. Why are you laughing? It, it, they form the homunculus. No, no, you're, you're right, but I'm <laughs> I'm about to piss another group of people off. All right. So the uh, we don't have a standard canon. We think we do. Uh, you know, our canon was was fought over until the 1600s, and in the uh, Council of Trent kind of put that to rest. But even at that particular time, Martin Luther was pissed off because he did not want the Book of James in the Bible. He literally said, "It is a pissy little book, a straw book. I wish I could burn jo uh, Jimmy in the fire." He literally said that. So even at that time, way back, which you know was, I mean, that's that's not that many years ago. Uh, they were still fighting over canon. And we think that our canon is crystallized, and then we have the Mormons come in and add a book. So here's the thing about the Book of Mormon, guys, and, you know, God help us. You, you can, I hope your mailbox will hold a bunch. There was a guy by the name of Solomon Spaulding who wrote a book called um, The... The... the the lost, uh, the lost manuscript, the lost manuscript. He wrote a book called The Lost Manuscript in um, 1812, I think it was. I have to look at my notes here. I've got it around here someplace. And uh, if you look at that book, uh, it's the Book of Mormon. 
So Joseph Smith stole this book and he got a hold of it and he wrote, he basically converted that manuscript into the Book of Mormon. And then he published the Book of Mormon and founded a new religion, all based off basically like yesterday's Scientology. It was just a work of fiction. And now we have hundreds of thousands of people that buy off on this manuscript and we want to make fun of them because it's just so ridiculous because every other sentence is and it came to pass. And, and they literally called uh, Mr. Spaulding, Mr. It came to pass. If you take that, that term out of the book of Mormon, you probably have about 50 pages. I mean, it's every <laughs> other, it's just so damn boring. And, and that's what I do for a living. I read this stuff and I think, Oh my God, just shoot me. So, but that's where it came from. And, and we make fun of that, and rightfully so. But I guarantee you that somebody somewhere in some planet that comes down here is going to go, they believed what? Mm-hmm. And they're going to hold up a King James. Because when you track it back, we're no different. This whole thing came from a Canaanite myth. And we are killing each other. Because we have the audacity, the hubris to think that we know what God is and God wants. It was all friggin' made up to begin with. I I don't know who I was on a podcast with. Actually, yeah, I was. Didn't didn't the guy from the Book of Mormons bury his brother up, exhume his brother's body or something like that? Am I correct on that? Somebody told me that. that I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, maybe any, Eddie does. I, I have no idea. I don't know. What do you, do you know anything about that, Eddie? Uh, you're muted, bro, I think. Oh, no, no, I haven't heard that one, man. But I, I do know he was a crazy guy. Like, he was like a <laughs> magician and all kinds of stuff. He was crying and everything, right, to to, yeah. to talk to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. If, if we – okay, so I, I mentioned something like this to somebody where at the end of the day, it's all some sort of project. And, and I'm trying to tread carefully not to – I mean, maybe we've already pissed people off, but who cares? I know I have. Go ahead. <laughs> but the idea that it is all – you know, bullshit and, and, and that it, it's all evo- evolu it's an evolution, it's an amalgam as we go. I was talking to Paranoid American earlier about this this book where he said there's this author writing about gods and he talks about a certain god that we know turning into this it, it comes from a death cult of a god. And what Paranoid American told me was that these the mono myths that we have these single gods that come forth from all these legends are all the gods that there were before and not at the same time so it's like you have to associate that one god with a whole bunch of other gods before him but at the same time he's not right it's like an an amalgam and then you have the adversary which is satan or lucifer and esoteric Getty did a whole thing about that his book's fascinating on that because it breaks down the whole idea of lucifer of satan the adversary so there's an evolution and i know you and i did an episode on this uh dr lumpkin where we talked about the evolution of religion of where we are we're in 2022 right now in 20 2200 are we still going to be talking about a 
I hope not. You know, we, we went through, um, uh, Eddie uh, mentioned this, that we went through this kind of uh, the jump evolution where, um, you know, we, we came out of this uh, panthe- uh, um, polytheism into monotheism. But there's a, a, a section of time called the axial age where we went from an internal, an external religion into an internal religion. And uh, within just a short period of time, we evolved. It, it's, it's almost like uh, a gene was switched on. And we went from trying to uh, bloodlet and and please all these gods into uh, let's look inside and see what's wrong with us. Uh, uh, Buddha, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Zoroaster, uh, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, Confucius, they were all in this time frame. And uh, and so all of a sudden we, we became, you know, what I would consider to be spiritual human beings. And uh, I think I mentioned to you once before that if you take the wars in the world, a lot of times what they break down to is the uh, uh, the people that are still in the pre-axial age versus the people in the post-axial age. Uh, that's what you've got in, uh, in, in the uh, Islam versus uh, the rest of the world kind of concept. They're wanting to kill everybody that's not, uh, you know, following uh, Islam because uh, of this one verse called the verse, verse of the sword. Um and, and I'm not saying that all Muslims are bad. I'm just saying that the, the terrorists focus on this mm-hmm. one verse. And it's and the way that Islam is set up is that the last thing the prophet said stands until he speaks again. Well, he's dead. And uh, so nobody's going to speak anymore. So the verse <laughs> of the sword was one of the last things he uttered. So we are stuck at 700 A.D. in that kind of... Uh, uh, a bloodletting, you know, rage mindset, and and so I'm hoping, I'm praying for a second axial age where we look back and go, yes, there is a creator, yes, there is a God, yes, there is something higher than me, and I am in Him, and He is in me, and we're all the same, and let's stop this crap. And you, 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 uh, you said it right there, Joseph. You said unlocked a gene or something and it it touch it touches on what i mentioned at the beginning which is a ludicrous idea but from all from everything you've said where you literally you take these myths or legends or how you've said before on one of my other episodes one man's myth is another man's religion well what if by taking all these things and and putting these languages together and putting an alchemical combination of certain texts together do you believe that maybe that is exactly what's happening it's it's having some shift in people's realities because that's a you're, t- you're talking about some people who are following the last words of some dude from the year 700 who are still they're walking around today and little how you said quite literally killing themselves and killing others f- because of these words that they believe that they were led to believe from the very beginning that they were from when they were born and raised were the last words of some prophet or messiah, whoever it is. Yeah, yeah, and and he in turn, uh, as as Eddie was pointing out, um, you know, followed uh, a concept of the Abrahamic religion that came from a Canaanite religion that we don't know where else that came from. But <laughs> that guy was a thunder bull god, and uh, you know, it, it's when you break it down like that, I, you know. When I was going through my doctoral thesis, friends would say, you know, you you go into 
uh, seminary as a believer and you come out an atheist. Well, not an atheist. I, I, I think that atheism is, is actually the height of hubris. You have to be God to say there is no God. Mm-hmm. You have to look everywhere all the time at one time to know that he doesn't exist. But you do come out changed because as you go down the rabbit hole, you go, what are we doing here? What, you know, what, I, I don't know how to explain the frustration when, when you get down to a level where you know that half of what you're reading has been altered. And there is truth in it. But look, guys, doctrine is like glass. You can see the truth through it, but you can't touch it because it has to be real to you. And, and you have to absorb it. You have to internalize it. You have to figure it out. And, you know, that's, that's the main thing that I think we're trying to do here is to, is to figure out how to um, internalize uh, the, the, the esoteric truth behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. And I want to read here from Michael Hoffman. Because yesterday, because you're saying we're intaking, and sometimes I think about this because I do a lot of reading, I do a lot of research, and it, I'm just driving myself crazy. And I read a piece yesterday where it says, many of the people stewed in morbid conspiracy theory suffer the effects of the mental contagion they imagine they are decoding. The process ends when the nervous system becomes too anesthetized and stupefied to experience further stimulation. Because... We think we're on this journey of reading all these things. And I know esoteric Eddie's talked about it before where we carry all this esoteric knowledge and all this occult knowledge and, and flex on people like, oh, have great conversations. But what are you truly doing with it? Are you on a path of illumination? Are you what are you doing with this knowledge? And I've always said, I believe that the true knowledge, because I know we haven't talked much about the Book of Enoch, but I don't care because this is, this is great. I, re- I really love I love where this is going, but I believe that the true esoteric knowledge, the true occulted knowledge is what they presented to Enoch, where he becomes, how you're saying, that the, at the pinnacle of an atheist's life, he becomes God. Well, I think that the secret doctrines that they're holding back from us is this, this knowledge where when they teach it to Enoch, he literally becomes what the lesser Yahweh, the the I forgot how, how they put it in here. They 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 put it like he's supposed to be a witness to humanity, right? Like the, this the 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 watcher of humanity. And I think when you the I, I think that's the true stuff. That's like the real meat and bone. You know the the meat, not the bone. That that's I think that's what they're trying to hold back from us and mm-hmm. occult it from us. And that's why they put these narratives in order to take our reality and shift it another way. And, and some, you know what I'm saying? Like they take it with how paranoid American was saying, they mix it in with just enough fiction and just enough reality. They throw in historical people, but they put in just enough reality. Well, if you understand the concept of fiction and of reality, you know, that reality of fiction is, is limitless. And you're in reality, you're confined to, to again, to the box, the cube of reality. So I think by mixing both of them, it's some sort of magical ritual to where it's like we can contain you in this. We know that the universe is boundless and endless and, and infinite, but we're going to contain you in this in this cube, if you will. Right? That's a very, very Gnostic thing to say, Juan. Um, <laughs> it truly is. Well, I, my meat and my, my what is it, my whatever that whatever the saying is, 
my butter and potatoes. Who cares? What about your meat? <laughs> my my bread and butter was the Gnostics when I first started, like my whole thing of of learning about all this stuff. The Gnostics, because that's where everything stems from. Right? It came Pythagoras, then Plato, and then Bro, Plato paved the way. Saying- were you trying to say you beat your meat to Gnosticism? <laughs> I used to, bro. I used to. That's my Franken beans. Yeah. What I, you know, you know what I'm saying, dude. I'm in the zone right now. So I'm just trying to get these words out without getting I'm tripping up on my words and stuff. But you understand, like, yeah, it's a Gnostic thing to say, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the Gnostics were onto something because usually, I don't know if you've noticed, the people who are onto something usually get killed. And those are usually the people that are are martyred, right? And and they're they're martyred for a reason because they were going against the grain. They were going against whatever the establishment was saying not to. And those are the people you usually have to pay the most attention to because usually there's some truth to that. They feel threatened by the things that you're saying. Why, uh, again, and pay attention to what's happening in the media today nowadays, not to get controversial, but when they... When they think we're not, <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying it, it, it makes you wonder what's really going on, right? If you're hit, if you're striking certain nerves with certain people, that's all I'm gonna say. But I think that's, that's what, when, whatever they taught Enoch that made him dissolve out of this reality into another dimension, that's not, I'm not saying that's what I want to learn, but I think that's what they're occulting from us. And if you really think about these stories of how they found all these texts. I mean, can we really believe that? Can we really believe that they were in some, in some cave somewhere? Uh, I mean, c- can we buy that narrative? Is that even true? Like, look at the MK Ultra papers. The MK Ultra papers were found in what a filing room. Oh, there's seven boxes. Come on, really? You know what I'm saying? Like, because I think that they'll release the truth. I, the, you know, I don't know if you remember, but there was a controversy in the '60s because. Um, in the 1945, 40, yeah, 44, 45, that's when Nag Hammadi, you know, was uh, it's like, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls were dug up. And then for what seemed like an eternity, nobody said anything. They would not release these papers. And not and, and scholars and, and uh, you know, my friends were just going nuts about it. what what are they doing? Why is it taking so long? What are they hiding? And it got to a point that they had to reveal something because we were going, all right, guys, you know, I don't care what's going on, but people are saying that you're hiding it because it's going to crush Christianity. Well, um, you know, if, if we would have done what we needed to do with the papers, there would have been a difference. Uh, I'll just leave it like that. And I, and I bring so this this guy don't up. tease me by bringing this one uh, up, this I, I, rabbit hole. I had to because he's 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 you're spitting the truth joseph you're talking about how they wait they sat on it they sat on it and you got john marco allegro which i've read the book uh, and people know <laughs> people know where it's going but again we're we're, we're trying to decipher the that, that's what i was telling the guys before we hopped on i wanted to again make people a little bit uncomfortable not by being abrasive or rude or grotesque no but i want to i want to push the boundaries a little bit and and peel back the layers of what what does this mean i mean we have all these stories we have all these myths we have all these gods we have all all these words what do they mean 
you know, wh what is at its core? What do you, what are they trying to either hide or what are they trying to portray? And, and you have crazy ideas again, like the scholar who he, he wrote this book. <laughs> Crazy's a little charged. <laughs> so yikes. Okay, I don't know if you guys want to go there or not, but what, what do you? What do you? What so do you... I've been taking some. I'm trying to temper myself because I have so many questions for Eddie. <laughs> go for and, it, and paranoid. Go for it. Go, bro. Go, yeah. go. I've got so many. So, so since you brought up the sacred, uh, you know, Allegro and the sacred mushroom, I first want to note one. You're saying what happens in year twenty two, twenty two? Well, based on my notes, which I'm, which are very superficial, but. The oldest we can date back bull worship is like 7,000 BC at Cattle Hayek. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And it probably goes back even further than that. That's just one of the first instances. And it's bull worship. And I've, in the back of my mind, I've always correlated bull worship to cow patties. And what grows out of cow patties are magic mushrooms, um, at least the psilocybin kind, not the Amanita muscaria. Uh, but there's so many different theories that the Lego came up with that perhaps every god that we know of specifically if we're talking about fertility gods and anything related to the bull that it could very well be talking about a mushroom and that you know jesus was a mushroom and santa's a mushroom and the pope's a, everyone's a mushroom all the way down you know homunculus theory almost but attributing that to mushrooms so that was one of one of the things is i'm curious is that since the oldest worship that we can think of tends to be this agricultural bull god is there a link there to mushrooms or is, is that just like a fun uh, thought experiment that doesn't really have a lot of basis in, you know, historical research? That's out of, out of I'm sorry, that's out of my wheelhouse. Um, what I can say <laughs> is that God is whatever you need him to be at the time. So in, in a ancient society, we need fertility and we need uh, combat. And, uh, you know, we, we need children and we need plants, and we need animals, and we need to kill. Uh, Eddie, you take it from here. I'm going to take a quick break. The, this right, this right. this thing on Reddit, I think, says Jesus is not a mushroom. The conflict between <laughs> Christianity and so it's it's got to be true if it's on the internet, right? But gotta be. Again, I'm not I'm not trying to <laughs> discredit anybody or or disrespect anyone, but. Again, these are questions that I have all the time where, dude, how you said it, Eddie, and I love the way you put it where you're like, and even Michael Hoffman talks about it, where all these conspiracy theorists, all they do is repeat and regurgitate all these ideas. It's like, where, where do they come from? And what, what, what do they mean? What are you going to do with, the, with, this, with this knowledge? Are you going to, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what do you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd like to uh, just give me a moment here. I'm going to explain our human situation in short when it comes to religion and these fallen ones and, and the Anunnaki and stuff like that. Right. And so in our current timeline, which again is like about 7,000 years, um, we spent most of that worshiping the Anunnaki to put it simple, you know, these polytheistic gods. So we, we, we came out of, you know, the middle East at some point, with the Sumerian civilization, which can be accredited as the first high civilization. Of course, there was human um, uh, settlements and stuff like that going on before that. But we'll, let's just start with the Sumerians, right? The Sumerians were the first high civilization of our current timeline. 
And the Sumerians themselves were never a very unified kingdom. They were always warring with each other. There were city-states. It was always, yo, this god of this city is attacking this god of this city. So they were always warring with each other. So from the very jump, we were a warring people worshiping multiple gods and using those gods as justification um, for these wars and all these different uh, battles that we were having. And the Sumerians, because of that, were taken out. They were vulnerable because they weren't unified. So they were taken out by the Akkadians and specifically by Sargon of Akkad, who was able to rally the people by the fact that he was semi-divine, but more so he was a, a one of the people. You know, he wasn't like this lofty, oh, I'm, I'm a god king. He was more like, I'm of the people. So the Sumerians fell to the Akkadians. And then eventually both the Sumerians and Akkadians fell to these outside uh um, barbarians known as the Gudians who came and just ravished everybody. They were just like, yo, we don't care about your Anunnaki. We're just here to, to kill and, and take what you got. So the Sumerians and Akkadians fell. And then eventually Babylon rose. So the Babylonian empire arose. And then they were like the real, the first new world order. And then the, the Syrians came after them simultaneously. So you had the Sumerians, the Akkadians, the Babylonians, and the Assyrians, all these major, major empires going on in the Middle East. And of course, all the other stuff going on, going on around the world. But through those major empires, uh, the Anunnaki uh, mythology was born. And so out of the mytho that mythology, later Judaism and the Judeo-Christian and Islam religions were born. But uh, after Can you explain all... where the Minoans fit into that too? Yeah, so the Minoans were basically um, a branch off of the Hittites. Now, the Hittites are generally regarded as like the ancestors of like the Minoan, uh, the Cretes, I believe, the, the Cretes, and, and basically the, the Greeks. So the, so the Minoans go back to the Hittites, and the, the Greeks go back to the Minoans. So that's how that, that branch kind of uh, occurred. Those are the Hittites, the Minoans, the Greeks. Um, but I don't want to get too, too into this. I just wanted to briefly set this up for, for what we're getting at, which is, which is this leaving all of this behind. So again, so we started off in the Sumerian Empire, um, and then we, we were warring people, battling each other with these Anunnaki gods. And then um, the Babylonians took the Israelites into captivity. Now, this is where everything really starts to shift. So when the Babylonians took the, the Israelites into captivity, you know, this small group of people who were worshiping Yahweh. At that time, the Israelites were actually very loose and, and polytheistic as well, as the Bible tells us. But it was after the Babylonian exile that the Jewish priest uh, realized, man, like we need to really like center ourselves because the world is changing and we need to be a part of this change and we need to uh, take control. So as the old worlds of the Anunnaki was dying, um, the, the Jewish priests were putting together um, the Torah and fortifying their monotheistic religion. And they got lucky because the Babylonians were taken down by the Persians and the, they got extra lucky because the Persians were tolerant of, of the Jewish people and allowed them to practice their religion. So the old world of the Anunnaki pretty much died with the fall of the Babylonian empire, but was still on the fringes with the Persian empire uh, because Cyrus himself worshiped Marduk, but most of them were Zoroastrians. So, but so, 
but when the uh, Persians were taken out by the Greeks, then that was really, really the end of the old world, the, the Anunnaki world. And then by the, by the time the Greeks came into play, the Jewish priests were fortified. Monotheism was fortified. Judaism was fortified. It was strong. They knew what they were doing. They knew what they were, where they were going. And again, the Greeks and the Jews, they um, experienced a, a renaissance together. Although there were some um, battles or whatever, some tension, they experienced a renaissance together. And then the Romans came, and then there was some more renaissance and some more battles. But then it comes to Christianity, right? By the time Christianity came around, the Jewish empire was strong. The, the rabbihood was strong. The, the Anunnaki were, were dead and gone. And so when at, at the hub, at the center of, of uh, the, the common era, the beginning of the common era, the Anunnaki were gone. Judaism was very strong. The Roman Empire was the strongest, but then you had this newcomer, Christianity, and, and, and its uh, fringes like Gnosticism, and all of that was warring with each other. And then um, the paganism died out, so paganism died out, and then what we were left with after the dust settled was Judaism and Christianity. And then shortly after that, uh, Islam came. So within those 5,000 years, that or the first, yeah, within the first 5,000 years, it was pretty much the death of the Anunnaki world and then the start of monotheism with Judaism, Christianity, and, and Islam. But none of those would exist without the Anunnaki world. So, all three of those Abrahamic faiths are based on the Anunnaki world. And um, as uh, Joseph was saying, you know, um, we, we've been kind of exiting this whole. Um, religious indoctrination of worshiping and bowing down to gods and, and have started to slowly shift into going inward and going back into natural spirituality. Because if you stop and look around, um, whatever created all of this created it to be self-sustaining. The food that you need in order to live grows out of the ground. The elements that you need in order to create shelter grow out of the ground. And we can exist together without governments. We can exist together in harmony without the matrix. So for the past basically five to 7,000 years now, we've been under this tight control of, of uh, Anunnaki and monotheism, but we're starting to see the bullshit in all of that. And now we're starting to ask ourselves, where do we go from here? And just like Mr. Lumpkin, I really hope we aren't still asking ourselves this question even 100 years from now. So you're talking about the evolution of spirituality to, to, to again, that path to illumination. And you, say it, you, you see it in the book of Enoch, Juan, uh, if you think about yeah. the evolution of Enoch. Enoch starts out as a man. Mm -hmm. He gets translated into heaven. He turns into Mel, uh, Metatron, mm. and then he becomes the lesser Yahweh. I, I don't know how more clear you can get to a roadmap of uh, ascension than that. Now, the, the angels <clears throat> were not happy. They actually said to God, I smell human semen here, and it stinks. That's actually in the second book. And uh, so they, they were very much uh, against it. 
But they were very much against it when they came down in the first place because they came down to disrupt. So why shouldn't they disrupt in heaven also? Uh, so anyway, I'll just leave it there as to say that the three books of Enoch, I believe, are the three steps of enlightenment. Oof. Okay. All right. Now we're, now we're cooking with gas because a question I get asked a lot of the, a lot of times and there are way too many books to read in way too little time. But you said you said something about a roadmap of some sorts. And there's a lot of you're absolutely right, because he does start as a man. What does it say here? It says I got it pulled up here. There's so much stuff here. God took him up and he was not. He exactly he was not. And how you're saying it's like these levels of reality. And that's one of the things that really stood out in these books of the, you know, the three books of Enoch, where he is describing different heavens, different levels of existence and how, and, and it's literally his transmutation, his ascend, his ascending up through the, the soul ascent, the seven layers. Well, what do we have? We have the seven celestial bodies, the seven Elohims, the seven, you know, the Mithraic initiation. You have the seven steps. You have in, in alchemy, you have the seven different steps as well. So it's, it always goes back to that seven. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That might, I never thought about it like how you just said it. So it's like clicking in my mind right now where like, oh, okay, this is, this is an, an instructional manual for those to be able to transcend this dimension some way or another. But I always go back to what Pythagoras said, if all is number, not saying that we're in a simulation, but you know, if all is number, then it, it's hinting at some sort of binary code. And if it, you know, to, to use this, this metaphor, if it's binary code, then there's an arch, you know, a, a programmer or an architect or whatever. I do believe aside from everything that, that I've said, I do believe that there is a higher power, a, a God, if you will, a something that, maybe perhaps isn't the way it's been painted and the way that they want us to connect with it is not the way that they say it is like go to church, pray, give your tithing. No, no. I think that you're able to connect to that source, that Akashic records, perhaps some other different way. And I think that's what, what Enoch was doing where he was, he was what one of the, one of the, the, he had the most intimate relationship with God. He was the one that was most intimate with him. Well, we don't know anything else about the guy. He wasn't going to church. He wasn't praying. He wasn't fa that we know of, right? Maybe he was able to tap into some sort of frequency where he was able to piece out of this dimension. If you look at all these ancient civilizations, a lot of them disappeared. Well, what if they reached this age that we're talking about? What if they reached as a people, this frequency where they able to vibrate on that frequency and all leave as a people? Why'd they all build pyramids? Is there something about that shape? Is there something about energy? Look at Nikola Tesla. If you look at everything from frequencies and, and energy and all this stuff, like, it's not, I don't think it's what they've painted us to, and led us to believe. And they're literally making us waste our time by preparing for this afterlife. Because we, we spend all our lives preparing for what's coming after, for the ascension after. Yeah. I don't think it's about that. I think, I think there's, there's a missing key somewhere. <laughs> We're on Enoch too. So, so um, there's, <laughs> there's something that I've, I've heard a few times and I try to look into it and a, a, a tangential question here for, for both of you, but I'm curious, is there any hope for anyone 
that doesn't speak Latin and Greek and can't read Hebrew all by themselves? Like, is there, can you, can I rely on just using the English language to help me make my decisions? Or at a certain point, do I have to then trust someone like you? Great uh, question. Mr. Lumpkin, do I have to trust you that you've done the translation and, you know, like Jesus take the wheel moment, right? Like I'm not going to go and learn all these dead languages. I'm going to rely on trust me. (laughs) I I don't even trust me. Everything in my head could be wrong. I always say that. I mean it. um, So to get from one language to the other, it it just doesn't work. I mean, you you get most of it, but you don't get all of it. Well, so Eddie touched on this to begin with. the word Adam means man. The word, you know, that we use for man is Adam, Adam. Uh, and, and what you. It's hard. It, I, goes, it goes deep. It, it does go <laughs> deep. It, it goes way too deep to, to, to like, you know, but. Well, I've, I've got a, a question in the context of this, too. Go ahead. Well, the, the question being, if, if there's no real hope for like a single person without learning all these languages, and even if you know the languages, jumping from one to the other means you're going to have to make some assumptions based on your own biases anyways in that process. So one of the things about the Book of Enoch that I've heard, which was interesting, is that it gets cited often as proof of flat earth, or at least an inspiration of flat earth theories. And it's because of a few passages which apparently are just mistranslations and kind of like overzealous translations, but one describes the disk of sun as opposed to a sphere. It mentions about the world being on pillars or on heaven being on pillars. And it mentions like these four winds indicating four corners, thereby implying some kind of a flat surface. I know there's a lot of jumps in logic between those. There truly is. Translations and stuff. But have you heard of this? And is there any credit? Yeah. If if you look at the sun, it looks like a disc. You can't see around it. It's just, you know, if you you look at the moon, it looks like a disc because you can't see around it. Um, You're you're dealing with a people who had no idea. You know, they, they had not any idea of inertia or gravity or anything else. And so they're, they're just kind of out of the, look, <clears throat> this is kind of getting ahead of us a little bit, but you, you can't, you can't translate things scientifically. You have to translate things humanly. We've got the Bible all wrong because we take the, the letters from Paul, by the way, probably only about six of them are actually from Paul. The rest of them, we have no idea. Uh, and to, to, to be honest, Mar- Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John never says they're from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're pretty darn sure that they're not. Um, but And they never say they are, and they never mention the writer. Uh, but that's kind of getting off the subject. But what I'm getting at is you, you take these these writings and uh, like for, for Paul, they're, they're letters. Uh, and, and so we, we take them and we parse them out like Paul was some kind of a super duper scientist. And he says, and where he means and he says, or when he means or if I'm writing a letter to you and you know me, you're going to fill in the gaps where I goof. And Paul goofs a lot. And there's also stuff added, like, for example, um, there's there's an addition in uh, uh, Corinthians that says, uh, I think it's Corinthians 14, that says, women should not speak in the church. They should keep quiet and ask their men when they get home. 
when in 11 he has said, you know, girls, if you're going to prophesy in the church, make sure you're covering your head. So we're absolutely sure that 14 was added by some asshole, some scribe that didn't like women down the road that said, I'm going to put this in here. And, you know, if you read it without it, it flows. If you read it with that uh, 14, it, it's clunky. The rule in, in, in transliteration like that, well, in, in interpretation like that, I should say, is you, you, take the, you take the translation that's the roughest and hardest um, because a scribe is going to try to harmonize things. And what he was trying to harmonize is uh, back in Timothy, which, by the way, was not written by Paul. And Timothy gives this idea of you've got to be this and this and this to become a deacon or a bishop. And here's where women stand. And so we've messed up the whole thing. Here's a language thing that'll that'll kind of make things make sense, Thomas. When we are looking at the book of John, I think it's first John, he says to the elected lady and her children. Well, We've been taught that the elected lady is the church and the children are the members. And that's because everything else in the King James and that, that kind of interpretation was anti-woman. Woman. It was, they, they didn't want women to have power. When in actuality, her name is Electa and she was over a church and she was teaching these people who were her students. That's the proper translation. And when you walk into uh, an Eastern star center uh, and you look at their roster of the people that they represent, Electa is part of that. Those, those people have, have got it right. The, the Eastern star women have it right. They understood the place that, that's, you know, women and, and, and their uh, place in the church at the time. So, I don't know if that gives you an idea as to what you're missing during the language translation and interpretation, but it's a lot. That was a fantastic question, Tom. I just want to say that because... Well, I've got one big heavy hitter, too. I'll, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go, go off, though. Because what you're saying, I think that the missing key here is also language. Language is a limiting factor, which I think that's done by design because if you look at the original alphabet only had what 17 or 19 letters and they've added all these sigils or symbols or emblems if you will after the fact well that mean essentially nothing so i and i'm looking at it from an occult perspective from a magic magical perspective whatever that means but i i believe in reality manipulation maybe not how they painted in harry potter but in some sort of i think that consciousness i think that creates people's reality real time and I think that it is some sort of like supercomputer where it's, you know, the observer effect is real right now. We're observing something, but when we're not, it collapses. Right. And when we look at it again, well, it's the, you know what I'm saying? So I think that the truth is stranger than fiction. And by using our own language against us, by weaponizing our own language against us, they strip these powers away from us. And yeah, there's even been an evolution in languages. There's been an evolution in, in religion. There's been an evolution in people. If you want to follow that narrative, and I think there's going to continue to be an evolution, but yeah, being able to tap into that, that, that language, how you're saying, like, are we dead in the water because we're never going to understand 
or be able to reconnect because essentially they are lost languages. A lot of these languages are gone for yeah, yeah. forever. That, that's the first Enoch was written in Geese. Uh, Geese is, is a dead language. It's ancient Ethiopian. Uh, keep in mind also that uh, Enoch was the first person they said that learned how to read and write. So he was the original scribe. Uh, I'm not sure if that's in first or second, but it, it literally says that he was the first man to learn how to write. Go ahead, Thomas. Are you you going to... Eddie's muted. Oh, sorry. Speaking of like mistranslations and stuff like that, what I touched on in my Anunnaki theorem book is actually um, has to do with the Book of Enoch and what is known as the emendation in 1 Peter. Have you heard of that, uh, Joseph? I, I have not. Uh, uh, lead me into it, and I might be able to catch up with you. Okay. So there, I didn't know this until, until I started doing the research for my book and started touching on to the Book of Enoch stuff. But there's, there's this problem in, in, uh, in theology and in biblical uh, scholarship known as the emendation in 1 Peter. So in 1 Peter 3.18 uh, through 20, uh, there, there is this account of Christ dying and then going to a prison and and uh, preaching to some spirits. Oh yeah, and, yeah, he was, uh, it, yeah. The, the it says the spirits that were somewhat disobedient. Yeah, so so one Peter three eighteen through twenty is known among uh, like theology as one of the strangest passages, one of the most difficult passages to decipher. Uh, to the point where even Martin Luther spoke on it, and he said um, that this is a very strange text, and he has no idea what Peter is trying to say. Which one? Can you repeat that? One Peter three eighteen through twenty. It's uh, Christ's descent to hell. Yeah, and that's another thing about it. That's what Christians use uh, as proof for his descent to hell. But in the original Greek, it doesn't say hell; it says prison. No. Yeah, it, so it he doesn't goes. Say hell. He goes to a prison and preaches to the disobedient spirits of Noah's time. Now, um, going all the way back to even the 1700s, there were scholars who realized there was an emendation or a mistranslation of a word. And the word that is used uh, in Greek that says, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits, that word, by which also... Um, if you add one Greek, like I think, uh, om in 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 that Greek word, then that by which also actually turns in by which Enoch also. So, uh, for example, uh, a scholar by the name of William Boyer back in 1772 uh, realized this, and he was one of the first people to change that by which also into by which Enoch also. And that's pretty early for him to do that because um, the English world didn't have the Book of Enoch until several years after he did that. Mm -hmm. And another scholar, J.R. Harris, who was a biblical scholar, uh, wrote in 1891 in an essay titled A Further Note on the Use of Enoch in 1 Peter. I quote here, these imprisoned spirits are the angels who sinned with mortal women for whose offense and its punishment, the book of Enoch is our prime authority. The very language used in Enoch for their place of punishment, this place is the prison of angels, is in close correspondence with the Petrine expression. 
So again, going back to 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20, this passage is a very strange passage that a lot of people have wrestled with, and it doesn't really make sense. It's not harmonic, but when you change that Greek word by which also into uh, how it's supposed to be read, by which Enoch also, then the passage makes sense. What is being said is Christ died and arose in the spirit, and it is in that spirit form or fashion by which Enoch also was able to go and preach unto the spirits in that prison. So Peter, whoever wrote it, was saying that Christ was able to rise in the spirit in the same way that Enoch was able to rise in the spirit. And that emendation might have been deliberately left out or deliberately uh, um, changed or again, it could have been a human error because apparently the Greek word by which also and by which Enoch also are very close and could have been uh, mistaken. I'm, I want to I want to jump in here because what you're saying that that you're you're blowing my wig back right now, as I would say, and it's here in Joseph's encyclopedia. To those Christians, a person who may sit in heaven and who judges and who is called by the same name taken by God must be Yeshua or Jesus. So what you're saying is like they're they're substituting Enoch or are they changing it and trying to say that it could have also been Enoch or that, again, I'm, I'm, I'm asking a question. Are they interpreting that Enoch and Jesus were the same or that they both had like some adept power where they were both able to tap into and go with God. Like what's going on here, Eddie? Cause that's, that's what I'm picking up from, from what you're saying, bro. <laughs> well, basically they just took Enoch out of the context and tried to make it all about Jesus. Mm. And that was a part of a bigger agenda. The church in general tried to get Enoch out of the picture and Enoch is all over the new Testament. So I think it was just one little part of a bigger agenda, which was just to scrub Enoch out of the new Testament. They didn't do it entirely, but it's obvious that Enoch was a huge influence Mm -hmm. on the apostles and Jesus and a lot of the other writers. So again, why do they try to scrub him out? Because um, for one, he talks about the fallen angels being corporeal, physical beings, which the church didn't like. And two, he was this lesser Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to scrub that out because, again, as I tried to uh, you know, portray or present earlier, our, our human plight in this 7,000 years that we've been around has revolved around religion and the priests and the institutions that indoctrinate us around those religions. So the name of the game is just get them to fill the chairs and not ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. And how you're saying here, it may, it may be of help if the meaning of the name Metatron could be ascertained, but it is not clear. Suggestions are the name originated from the root words, such as phrases, keeper of the watch guard to protect one who serves behind the throne, one who occupies the throne next to the throne of glory to lead or to measure. And this is what Enoch becomes. Are you saying they, I think maybe that's why they left it out of the can because they did perceive Enoch as a threat but the funny part is that they they cite it in the canon. <laughs> they cite a non-canonical text in the canon. So I was like, wait, what are you trying to do? And at the end of it, his purpose in heaven was to be a witness against mankind. And that's what I was looking for. He is also called the prince of the presence of God. So 
yeah, very interesting take on that because again, that that could ruffle some feathers, but I think that's what we're here for. And I don't know if Joseph has something because I got some other stuff that I want to pull up to ruffle some more feathers too. No, I'm I'm just looking at it, and and I'll I'll certainly uh, certainly do some more study. I don't know if y'all are familiar with this book or not. Um, and I show it backwards, so I hope that it's okay with you. Um, Novum anyway. testum testamentum grace. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the uh, Greek English New Testament, but it's it's a, a Nestle's Allen uh, or Alan book. So these guys, <clears throat> they go through most of the fragments and uh, differences that we have. And so what they'll do is they'll compare and you'll have all of these uh, like here's a, here's a good one. So all of this is scripture, but all of these are the differences in these scriptures. Does that make sense? So you you look here Mm -hmm. and it's going to give you uh, references here and it'll say this witness, which a witness is a codex. uh, Mm. This witness will say this, this witness says that. And you get all these comparisons so that um, when you look at it, you go, well, there's, there's a lot of differences in the scriptures. Um, that's that's interesting. I, I've heard of something like that um, as a computer developer, a computer programmer. It reminds me of what you call a diff, where you take two different line, you know, two different files of source code, and there's a function that that specific intent is to show you here's the difference between the two. Yeah, so it's almost like it's a it's a diff generator for yeah, biblical that's exactly scripture. Right. It's a difference. That's right. Yeah. So I've got one one more deep one, and then and everything else will be uh, light ones. But man. Um, so Joseph, you've dropped a few Masonic references, you know, overtly, not like subtly, but you mentioned Eastern star. You mentioned that you had to skip a Knights Templar, uh, meeting to get here. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate that. No, no so, problem. so I've got a, a an, an analogy here that I've been developing just in my own head. I haven't even mentioned this to Juan yet, but I feel like it, it is so appropriate to the conversation. Specifically, we're talking about Canon. Um, and that there's really not an agreed upon one. It really just took this massive authority. And like Eddie was mentioning, it was just like, um, you know, might makes right in a way that enough people pushed it for enough time. And the consequences were severe enough about going against it, that it became this de facto standard, despite not actually being an agreed upon standard. Um, so this reminds me a little bit of like the convent of Wilhelmsbad. If you apply the same logic to Freemasonry, where Freemasonry was getting splintered, and what was this in like the late 1700s, uh, the Bavarian Illuminati started picking apart the stragglers and, you know, infiltrating, and uh, all the different Freemasonic bonnies decided to get together and say, whoa, 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 we need to make sure we, do, we don't have flavors A, B, and C, because then these <laughs> Illuminati guys or anyone else, they're going to pick off B. And then they're going to pick off C, and now it's going to be B and C versus A, and and there was just this huge power uh, shift. So essentially, they it was like the um, the Lodge of Strict Observance, which is kind of like the prototypal Scottish right. They just they all get together and they decide, all right, we're getting rid of the kings uh, or the Knights Templar degrees. We're going to keep the names because the names are nice and fancy, and everyone loves them. But we're going to kind of get rid of the, the the degree rituals themselves, and we're going to get rid of a whole bunch of the other degrees and kind of consolidate everything into, I'm not going to call it a canon, but it was like this highly disputed, but might makes right standardization of Freemasonry in general. 
just so that it couldn't become splintered so someone else could come along and sort of take over it. And I'm, I just, I can't not draw these same correlations to like the Council of Trent well, and the King yeah, James and, uh, Bible. Yeah, and, and you do put me in a, a bit of a bind here because there's a lot of things I can't speak on. But I will tell you, I, I wrote an essay. It's, it's actually out there on Kindle. And uh, it's under a uh, pseudonym too, or is that no? It's it's on it's on my name. Yeah, right. it's on my name. So it's it's an essay on uh, <clears throat> a track back of the language used in uh, in some of the rituals in the Masonic Lodge. Uh, and since it doesn't give anything away, um, I felt free to put it out because the language is one thing, but the rituals are something else. What it shows. Is, is that we took into ourselves and, and actually harbored, if you will, uh, the Knights Templar when they came over. Um, if you look at our, uh, and, and some of these rituals are online and you can, you can look them up. But see, the thing is, the Masonic Lodge is a, it's not a secret lodge. I mean, we, we advertise. You, you see Masonic signs all over the place. But we are a fellowship with secrets. And, and because we pick and choose the people who come in, we must have a way of verifying that they are one of us. And that's where the rituals and the, and the different signs and symbols come from. Um, so that we're going to, if you come into a, a lodge and I have not seen you before, I am going to test you. And I'm going to prove that you are one of us before you can pass through the door. At the door, there's a guy with a sword. He's called a tailor, a tiler, and a tiler comes from the same word that tailor comes from. It means to cut. So, and that still goes on. Well, if we were brick masons or rock masons, we wouldn't have that. What happened was we took into ourselves the, and we harbored the Knights Templar. And, and because we did that, we have some of their rituals in our canon, if you will. Um, you know, we, there's a guy with a sword. There's, there's uh, things that go on in the lodge that are, uh, can be construed, I'll just say, as weaponry. There are rituals that are so military that no mason, as in bricklayer, blocklayer, would ever do that. The only thing that makes sense is that the Templars um, were part and parcel over time of the, of the Masons. Uh, some of our wording goes back to French, which of course is the, uh, the, the mother tongue of the, of the Knights. Uh, they begin in France. So, yeah, there you go. The outer guard. Yep. And to be clear, you're you're not talking about just York Ray and the influence of Knights Templar. You're talking about the influence of Knights Templar on you know masonry in general, including the first yes, three they, degrees. Yes, they they um, remember Friday the Thirteenth. They you know they tried to kill all of them they could, but some of them escaped. Uh, well, Scotland was no, I mean they were they were no uh, friend to the king. And uh, so they, they took into themselves uh, the knights, and, uh, and they became part of us. That's my theory. And you can read the essay. Uh, it, um, 
it'll give you the language structure. And that's one way that we, we deal with uh, scriptures is uh, we look at, at the language uh, and you'll see, you'll see Greek borrows Latin, Latin borrows Greek, so on and so forth. And you go, okay, this, I'll give you an example. Um, my grandfather would call, when a baby needs a diaper, it was called, give it a hippin'. That word comes back from old Scotland. It took me forever to find that word. Um, but it only existed in, a, in a, just a short period of time. It, it, it went out of date. And so that's the way that we can date certain, uh, certain languages and, and uh, uh, scripts, uh, text, codices. Uh, there'll be a word. It, it'll be written in a script. We can date the script because if you look at, like for example, our kids, our kids won't know cursive. Cursive will have gone out of, out of date. There'll be block letters because that's what they see all the time. Prior to that, there's a sloppy cursive. You get back into the early uh, 19 and late 1800s, the script is beautiful. And so you can actually date these things through language and through script. So that's basically what I did when I wrote the essay. Does that, does that answer your question? It does, uh, yeah. What was the name of that essay again? Let me, let me try to pull it up here. Um, it's sad that I've written so much I can't keep track of my own stuff. <laughs> Yeah, Paranoid Americans is the Freemason in the back falling asleep. That's him whenever he's at his his meeting. So yeah, don't I, I don't want to embarrass myself, but I feel like if I if I entered uh, your lodge and you tested me, you might turn me away and be like, "That guy's never been a Mason," and I'd look like a complete idiot. <laughs> I was raised in, in two thousand. Are you uh, are you a Mason? I'm a Mason, but my yeah, I told oh, I told Juan in, in about a confidence that he's. He's uh, dropped on me a few times, but when I went through the 32 degrees of Scottish Rite, I want to say at least degrees 14 through 30. I might have been sleeping through, uh, so I need to go back. I need <laughs> yeah, to go back. Blow you through it, times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's dark, you know the lights are dim and everyone's talking a little bit slow, and you know. <laughs> and as far as I know, Doctor Lumpkin has been the first Mason on the Honolulu podcast because there's a clip of me. There's a clip of Thomas telling me he's a Freemason on air because I had just got I had just met him and I didn't know. We got like this funny little thing, but yeah, the original Freemason was Doctor Lumpkin to ever be. I didn't know at the time, right? Because this is like over two it's years ago. A, yeah. I feel like a conspiracy so called a out short essay. Oh, you broke up. Oh. There you go. You broke up there, Doctor. Can you repeat it again? Yeah, let me get rid of some of these. Uh, this will help. Okay. We have a way of sending... There it is, a comment. Now, you go under private chat, and you can send the link on there, and the guys can check it out. And, and I have a, a, a hopefully a softball question for uh, Eddie, too, and Joseph. Um, especially, Eddie, you were starting to break down like certain basic phrases and noticed how just adding a letter or just changing like a slight, what seems like a minor word can change the entire meaning 
and have dramatic consequences, you know, as that game of telephone kind of like reverberates through history. So I've got, there's one that I've always loved and I've kept near and dear and I almost don't want you to demystify it because I have a feeling you're going to be like, nah, it's all BS. Um, <laughs> but one of the cool things, and I think it was like a Michael Sarion, I might be misattributing it, but he's talking about the opening line of Genesis. Um, and then this this one always blows my mind. And he mentions how the opening line actually describes the formula for how God creates all of our reality. And it, and it goes something like in the beginning was the word. Well, in is defining space. There is inside and there's outside. So just by declaring the word in, you've defined spatial awareness Then you've got the beginning. Now you've just created the concept of time because beginning can't end without an end. Um, and then it says was the word so you've got, you know, I'm creating space, then I'm creating time. And now with the word I'm creating, which you kind of mentioned was like this original vibration or the original symbol or um, something like that original magical incantation. So is is there any is there any like a uh, meat to that being the, the specific order that the word in comes first and that could be defining space and then, um, you know, the beginning being related to time. Or is that just like the English version that you have to read that way? Um, I, well, I think there's some spiritual truth to it for sure. Like a lot of the ancient texts, like the Rig Veda, for example, the oldest of the Vedas talks about there being this void and then the first consciousness self-creating itself. You know, a lot of these ancient scriptures, when they talk about the beginning, it's it's all the same. And um, the, the Genesis beginning actually, I think, came from the Enuma Elish. I think it was kind of going off of the Enuma Elish, which was the Sumerian creation story. And in the Sumerian creation story, it says, um, when in the beginning, in the, or in the heights, um, there was no earth yet. So like, if you read the Enuma Elish, the Sumerian creation story, it's, it's pretty obvious that the, uh, the early Israelites were kind of not, I mean, copying or borrowing or, or expanding off of that. Because, of, again, these early Israelites were from Canaan, you know, and their ancestors were the Sumerians. And the Enuma Elish was a very important uh, text that was acted out during the Babylonian New Year festival. So they must have known about the Enuma Elish in the story that starts out saying, when in the heights, there was um, no earth yet. I'm paraphrasing. That's pretty much it. So it's, again, it goes back to the, the Genesis in the Torah, which says, in the beginning, there was a void. The earth was without form. So I think uh, what you're saying, spiritually spiritually speaking, I think there's truth to it for sure. Um, but historically speaking or, or uh, religiously, I think the Torah was kind of expanding off of the Enuma Elish. But there's another weird theory kind of based on what you're saying that I've heard too. Um, I forget where it fits in in the beginning of Genesis, but it says like there's this whole idea of God telling man to um, replenish the earth there. Again, it kind of goes to this whole thing about, about being specific about the wording. Jordan Maxwell talks about this a lot. When God says, go and, and uh, multiply and, and um, fill the earth or whatever, some scholars read it and say, he says, say that he is saying to replenish the earth. And some people think that in the beginning, God isn't creating the earth. He's actually reinstating man after a destruction that occurred but that's a whole like schism and theory that people look into um but to answer your question um i think it's i think there's truth to it yeah i think there's truth to it but again i think 
when you're looking at it, um, you should also look side by side um, the, the Anuma Elish, and you'll get like a deeper understanding mm. of what of what they were pulling from. Yeah, there's always they're always they're piggyback they're piggybacking off of the OGs, right? The originals, the ones before them. So yeah. as we are here nearing the very end, is there any concluding thoughts y'all want to throw in? This was a lot of fun. I know we didn't really touch on the book of you know, there's just so much to talk about. And, I, and to be honest, I mean, this was fun. I had a lot of fun. We went a lot of places and talked about a lot of things. Do any of you have any concluding thoughts you want to throw in there to leave the listeners with? I know maybe we might have ruffled some feathers, maybe answered some questions along the way. Who knows? Uh, we'll let the 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 audience be the judge of that. So you can, I'll send you the comments, Joseph, once people start posting away, but I'm sure they're going to enjoy this very much. Uh, this this conversation was great. Any concluding thoughts from any any of you? I just uh, let me let me clarify something real quick, and that is that uh, uh, paranoid was quoting John, not not Genesis. Mm. In the beginning, there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word oh, was. Sorry, God. yeah, yeah. Good yeah. correction. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, not to have the audience. Jump That's on why you're here. That. Dr. Lumpkin. <laughs> I said I was the Lumpkin of the four, so I had to prove it at some point. Yeah, yeah. So that's, um, it's, it's interesting. Um, the truth is in there. It's just not really well indexed. That's the problem. And um, so we have to, we have to be careful. And um, all I think, I think what we've got here is um, that we're trapped within a myth. And we've got to break free because we've been in it so long. It feels like home. And there's uh, there's there's more out there uh, than we can ever imagine. I believe. Right on, Eddie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna just leave it to to Doctor Lumpkin, man. He's he's the OG. He's the elder here. And I think that what he said is true. You know, I think it's time for us to appreciate what our ancestors handed down. Appreciate the myths. But it's time to look at all of this that's going on around us as mature, you know, humans, earthlings, and start to decide if we're going to continue with this. And if we're not, then what is this future going to look like together? Right on. Thomas? Yeah, I just want to tap in and say that one of the takeaways for me that was a little bit mind-blowing that I'm definitely going to look into more was... Eddie, you mentioned that uh, Enoch, even outside the book of Enoch, he's all over the New Testament, maybe just not by name. So I would love to to do an even deeper dive and figure out like mm. where are all the places that seem like the strongest correlations to they say Jesus, but they really mean Enoch here. Um, I'd love to book. go through those. Part of it's in the book. Uh-oh. Yeah, check out. There's actually, there's actually a list here. I'll be buying your book today. Uh, <laughs> Wait, which book is that? that? Which book in specific is that? Because you have over 25 books. You oh, can't... I'm sorry. Yeah. It's this one. I'll buy all 25. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's this one right here. Um, it actually gives you uh, a list of uh, where it occurs in the in the uh, New Testament. Right on. Yeah, I'm going to go bankrupt if I, if I was to buy all those. I got the encyclopedia. There's a lot of great stuff in here, so you can check that one out. I'll post the links in the description. And absolutely, because also Enoch, how you wrote in here as well, could also be a title of some sorts, right? Because And that's also uh, might have not been an actual person, could have been a title, right? I mean, am I correct to, on saying that, that Enoch could have been a title given to somebody? 
or a person or energy or something? Are you, are you addressing me or, or uh, Eddie? Uh, yeah, whoever. Because, uh, I mean, I, that's what I picked up on, on one of the passages here in the, in the encyclopedia that Enoch is also translated into all these other titles that there are. Am, am I correct on saying that? Yeah, well, Enoch has uh, all of these titles. It's, it's not that the name itself mm. could, uh, but, but he has... I'm sorry, Met, it was Metatron. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, I read that wrong. Yeah, Metatron has been ascertained, but is not clear. Suggestions that the name originated from root words of such mm. phrases. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, there we go. And this goes back to what uh, Thomas was saying. Uh, it's all in the language. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all in the language. It's, it's in there. We, you know, we, we say things and we don't even understand where they come from. Yeah. Like, I am inspired. Well, okay, God breathed into me. That's exactly what that means. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we have all of these, uh, and, and even in the lodge, uh, uh, we, we have all of these terms that we, we throw around, but we don't know where they came from. Mm -hmm. And uh, so language is interesting. I want to wrap up by, with, a, with a verse from one of my favorite apocryphal books, rejected scripture, whatever you want to call it. The Gospel of Thomas. And this is very interesting. And I, I wanted to talk about a lot of other things, but we, we ran out of time, unfortunately. But uh, this is a very interesting Jesus in this particular gospel. And he says, The disciples said to Jesus, Tell us how our end will come. Jesus said, Have you already discovered the beginning origin so that you inquire about the end? Where the beginning is, there the end will be. Will be. Blessed be he who will take his place in the beginning for he will know the end, and he will not experience death. So that's one of my favorite verses. And this, that, that's one of the verses that made me go hard in the paint and was one of the verses I, I read before the One One Podcast was born. And from there, it just spiraled all downhill or uphill or wherever it's going. I don't know. But here we are. And I want to thank you guys for coming on. This was a lot of fun. It was very insightful. And we should probably do it again in the near future, right? I mean, don't be strangers. Uh, Joseph, I love having you on. You are a wealth of knowledge and you have a lot of other, I mean, over 25 books that you've, that you've written and you've translated, translated all this work. So there's not a shortage of things to talk about. And I think that we could have, maybe on the next one, we'll do another one and go deeper. And how, how Paranormal was saying, maybe peel the layers back of who Enoch was truly and if he's still around or something. I don't know. But this was a lot of fun, guys. Thank you so much. And I'll post y'all's description, y'all's links in the description. And hopefully we'll do this again very soon. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Uh, Thank Eddie, you so much, it was guys. nice meeting you. Thomas, we meet on the square and leave on the level, my friend. <laughs> Travel late. <laughs> Take it easy, guys. Thank you.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.